Welcome to the Limitless Leaders Podcast. This is a show where my guests and I explore and expand on all things mindset, leadership, and communication. On the show, I interview inspiring leaders, business owners, and entrepreneurs from all walks of life, where they share their stories, experiences, and lessons. This is a podcast for you if you're looking to learn, grow, and accelerate your life, career, and who you are. Hi, and welcome to the Limitless Leaders podcast. From wherever you're chiming in from around the world, be super excited for today's episode. I'm going to jump straight in and introduce you to Peter Baines. Peter Baines is an author, speaker, founder and director of International Operations for Hands Across Water. Hands Across Water is one of the largest contributing Australian charities to Thailand, which Peter started in his time working in Thailand following the Boxing Day tsunami. Hands Across Water has raised to date $30 million. And aside from all the amazing work Peter does there, he's also just released his book, Leadership Matters, Stories and Insights for Leaders, Achievers and Visionaries. So great to have you here today, Peter. Oh, good day, Renee. Yeah, it's great to join you and thanks for the invitation. Oh, absolute pleasure. So I'd love to just kick off and you've got an amazing sort of an origin backstory and I know a little bit about you, but for our listeners and viewers, I'd love to ask you sort of what has happened in your life to lead you to who you've become today? Well, that's a big question. I think uh, it's... Probably everything that's uh, uh, good, bad, ugly, and indifferent is, uh, leads us to to where we are. But uh, from a chronological, um, you know, point of view, uh, grew up in the western suburbs of uh, Sydney and and uh, joined the police at a pretty young age. It wasn't a childhood ambition or anything. I, I went to uni straight after school and very quickly thought, "What am I doing here?" Had no no, you know, clear path or desire or direction, and and uh, left uni uh, very quickly, and and as I say, joined the police and worked in uniform in general duties for uh, four and a half years through through the areas of Western Sydney and uh, Cabramatta back in the eighties, which uh, for those that uh, uh, don't know had had the highest crime rate uh, or highest murder rate in Australia at the time. There was warring. Uh, drug gangs between the banana gang and the 5T gang, Vietnamese gangs who were running drugs for the Romanian drug importers. And um, and then I left there and went into the forensic area of the police. I just found that uh, quite fascinating and um, and uh, studied at uni, did science and then did, my, uh, did law at uni and, and uh, worked in rural New South Wales. I spent 10 years in, in Tamworth uh, servicing the the far north and uh, northwest, uh, attending scenes of major crime as a crime scene investigator, mm. and and I guess things really changed, Renee. With um, I came back to Sydney as a detective inspector at the age of thirty five, which was pretty young, and and uh, that was at the beginning of two thousand and two, and then two thousand two, I'd end up uh, uh, working in Bali after the bombings. As part of the Australian team deployed to uh, identify those who died, 
and then I'd work in Thailand after the tsunami and and it would go on from there and uh, I'd have a number of international deployments. I'd work in Japan, Saudi Arabia. I'd take a, a 12-month secondment with Interpol in Lyon in France on a counter-terrorism project and so all of those things contributed to to where I end up uh, uh, now. Yeah, I can I can imagine. And with an, such an amazing backstory and what you would have seen, and you know, obviously the crime, and you know, I think it, I can see and feel you've always been here to make a difference, and everything you do does that. What was sort of the the moment that you you know, obviously it was a tsunami, you know, that tsunami, Boxing Day tsunami, but. What was the moment when you went, wow, I really want to create a movement and a charity around that, which is now Hands Across Water? Yeah, I guess it wasn't so much of um, like I didn't have an epiphany. It wasn't this defining moment. It was I met a group of kids um, on one of my last tours who were living in a tent and they'd all lost their parents and lost their home and and um and returned to australia and then it was a conversation with a colleague from the uk um, who'd been part of my team and and she said to me you know we we've met these kids and she said you know we should do something to help them and mm. and i said yeah sure and then you know she said what are we going to call ourselves and i said well you're in the uk i'm in australia we're helping these kids in thailand how about hands across the water and um and that became the the you know the the uh, moment that started it and uh, uh, and the idea was only ever to build a home for those kids that we met and and it was only when I went over there for the opening of that first home in two thousand and six uh, that I realised the the journey had really just begun it wasn't finishing and uh, and that was um, you know some eighteen eighteen odd years ago and uh, it's where we find ourselves now. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I always, being an ex-marketer, hands across water, I had a feeling it was that and it's such a great, it's exactly, exactly what it is. So just, just for those listening and, you know, you've raised $30 million to date, which is well done. Like when I read that, I was just like, wow. Um, what What is the charity? How can people get involved? Yeah, so Hands is, um, you know, it started out to support that one group of kids and, and um, you know, like anything, it evolves over time and we'd go on and build or operate support seven projects all across Thailand and and for a long time um, the, the tsunami has just been the story that started it and uh, uh, there's, there's very little connection back to that event now and... Uh, um, you know, the vast majority of kids that we support across the properties have nothing to do with the tsunami. And uh, um, and our real focus is on creating a life of choice uh, for the kids rather than one of chance. And and we measure that by what happens when it comes time for them to to leave the home. And, uh, and you know, any charity should be working to shut themselves down. That's a true measure of success is ceasing to exist as a charity. And, yeah. and whilst that's not um, on the horizon for us because of the, the challenges and and uh, opportunities that are that are there, um, you know, our focus is on, on creating this opportunity for the kids when it comes time to leave. And, and we recognise a big part of that is through education. So we've had now 
34 kids who graduated from university with various degrees and all across Thailand from the seven properties. And, and that, that for us is, is really uh, some type of measure of success, knowing that they've got a, you know, a, a future before them, uh, which creates, you know, choice for them. And, uh, um, yeah, so that's that that that's really direction that we've gone and where the focus is. And you know, we still receive kids. Like I was only in a conversation with one of the directors of our home um, two nights ago, who was saying to me he'd heard from the the government around uh, they were requesting a four and seven year old uh, come and and live at one of our homes. Uh, um, their father had recently died. Mum has uh, has long been gone and. Uh, they were living with an auntie and it was an abusive um, uh, household and the government's remu- removed them. They're currently in the hospital. And and this is really typical of where the growth is, where the need is. It's uh, We don't go looking uh, for, for kids to come into the home. There's a real process before we'll say yes and accept them. But, you know, the vast majority of new kids coming to us come from uh, situations like that where it's the government, the hospital, the police, the social welfare that reach out and say, can you help us? Can you take these kids? Yeah, amazing. And must be so rewarding, but I know you can, you'd probably be thinking there's just so much more that has to be done. Oh, absolutely. Like there's, um, um, y- you know, the, the, the opportunities are endless. And I think it's really important in whatever we do um, that we have clarity and that we don't, you know, get uh, sucked into mission drift because there's, um, you know, uh, another opportunity to do something else and support someone else. And and I think, you know, for many years and um, I've, I've received requests and invitations from different charities, different people um, in different countries to support them and, uh, you know, to go into Indonesia or different parts of, of Southeast Asia and uh, through India and Sri Lanka and 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 I think you you, you have to consider what uh, growth means and uh, where can you bring about the the best change and um, and for us uh, we know that there's uh, lots more that we can do um, within the areas we operate rather than just growing so that we can say that we you know that we're now in however many countries because if we did. It would certainly dilute the effectiveness of our operations and, and the level of support because it doesn't mean that when you expand that your um, income uh, matches growth and and that's certainly something I've seen over over the last twenty years is that we'll receive support from different corporates or different organisations who say we want you to build you know something that uh, is representative of their contribution but. Um, um, you know, it might be a one-off donation and any any asset uh, acquisition or, or infrastructure build comes with operational costs, new staff costs. And and oh, so growth, growth always increases um, uh, operating costs. Yeah, yeah, it's all relative. It's, um, and I love that, give them, you know, a choice, choice versus chance. I think that's, that's such a good sort of mind, mindset. One of the quotes that that you said was, we can't change what's happened, but we can change what happens next. This really resonated with me because the gift mindset is all about unwrapping the gifts in challenging people and situations and positive people and situations and learning what that lesson is to use to, you know, to progress yourself and others forward. 
that's sort of part of my mission with the gift mindset in and out of the workplace. So I'd love to, um, you know, on that, ask you, you know, I'm sure there's been been so many, Peter, but what's been a gift? What's been something you've been faced with that's been quite challenging that has ended up having a silver lining for you? Oh, you know, I think uh, from the whole starting of hands, you know, when I started hands, I was in a desperately low personal position in my own life. Um, um, you know, I just separated from my wife. I was financially, emotionally, and physically, you know, broken. I was at the lowest point of my life. It was at the end of all of my tours of Thailand, and um, um, and but that was when I started hands, you know, and it was uh, it was probably the the at the least uh, point in time that made sense to start a charity to support kids in Thailand. But um, you know, that very active starting the charity brought about um, you know immeasurable change and and gifts and benefits uh, to myself and uh, and I think it's it's something that you know the community that we've uh, we've built um, um, in Australia through our supporters and so forth that we we see that those who come and uh, thinking that um, hands is about something thinking that they're doing something for someone else and then when they give without expectation and and they give of themselves, um, you know, I think the there's a there's a Seth Godin quote that says the challenge of our time is to find a journey worthy of our heart and our soul. And I think this is the real gift that comes from hands is that for those who it's appropriate, it is that uh, a journey and it is that gift of of. of of something that is so meaningful for their heart and soul and uh and um and I see that you know we we run these long distance bike rides in Thailand and yeah I wanted to ask and, you about those yeah look we've been running them since 2009 and uh um you know and we've just had growth year on year up until COVID of course and lost a few years but we're back running them now we've got um um you know in 2024 we'll run four bike rides Wow. We've got our lead, leaders in motion bike ride for those that might be interested in March, which is a five day ride, and and people come and you know it's and it's a funny thing, Renee. Most of the oh, riders in Thailand, it, yeah, in Thailand, and most of the riders are, are not bike riders who come and join us, and um, but they're they're coming for for this journey, for this experience, this shared experience, and and. Um, you know, we've had so many riders. Like we have a retention rate of seventy three percent that wow. come back and ride again, and we've got more riders who have ridden, um, you know, five times or more than have ridden twice and not come back. You know, and it just speaks to it, it speaks just speaks to the that opportunity of you know you know of of getting involved in something that's right for you that yeah. provides that meaningful return is is a real gift. It is, and it, yeah. If, if my health gets back on track, or when my health gets back on track, I will be looking to join you. I love Thailand, and I love contributions. So, what could be better? And I think you're right. I think people, you know, we won't bring up. I, I just call it, you know, PC post COVID. People are a bit more open, I think, to the gift of life and being in gratitude, and you know this whole hands across water to me it's about contribution it's about connection it's about growth which are all human needs 
So it's it's got a two way effect, which I I just think I, I just just love. Um, so how can people get have a look at that for next year? You've said you've got four rides. How can they sort of register their interest and find out more? Yeah, just through our website, handsacrossthewater.org.au, and um, you know they can explore the site and see the rides and see what's uh, right for them. And um, you know. I, Renee, ever since I've been talking about these rides, I hear one of two things from most people. Um, they're, they're worried about uh, can they ride that far or can they raise the fundraising? And um, um, and if people are worried about either or both, you know, all they need to do is connect with me and I'm happy to have a chat to them and share the experience and take away the, the you know, the real worry and, um, you know, I've done 35 of these rides through Thailand and, and you know, led groups from you know a dozen up until up to fifty riders at a time, and uh, um, and have had this privilege of riding with so many people, and and can share the journey of what people have done to overcome what they see as barriers. And yeah. one of, one of the things that I think it really comes from the rides is is people um, turn up with self imposed limitations. Yeah. And sometimes people turn up with limitations imposed by others, people telling them what they can do, what they're capable of. People arriving with their so-called supporter base, having told them they'll never be able to finish, they'll never ride 100 kilometres in a day. And, and and you know, I personally believe that real growth comes on the edge of our limitations. And some of our greatest victories are when we're about to give up. And yeah. and I see this year on year with uh, people who arrive and there's this doubt and question within themselves around their ability and mm-hmm. go back with so much you know personal confidence and pride and and uh, and respect for themselves and you know being witness to and party to that journey is a beautiful thing that I get to experience. Yeah, and it's it's and you're giving back and you're giving to yourself and I think it's a life changing thing. I um Pembert Shobran wrote a book um which I just love and she talks about welcoming the unwelcome, which is one of my mantras because mm. you know, whatever limitations you've got or think you've got, most of them aren't real, they're coming at you anyway. So embrace mm. that, learn from it. Um and it really feeds beautifully into leadership. You know, we're all, I say everybody's a leader because we're all leaders of self before leaders of others. Mm. Well, what does leadership mean to you? Uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, a lot of it is is around having courage and um, accepting risk. And and I think courage is just in, in putting your name to something, making decisions and standing behind it and, you um, you know, I think true leadership is around that. Uh, it's around the presence of leaders. It's about um, uh, supporting those in in their endeavours, helping lift people up, and and um, yeah, I think it's 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 you know, it's when we there's a real tendency within within family, within organisations, within government, within society, within corporate to to look at how we remove risk. But I think the talent, the 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 problem with just trying to remove risk at all, every opportunity is we take away the learning that comes from living through, moving through, and leading through difficult times. And 
you know, we 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 build in within organizations policy and procedure to predict the outcome. But we in doing that, we take away the creativity, we take away the innovation, we take away the artists and pioneers and and um, you know, and that's what leadership's about. It's it's setting that new direction, it's going forward and it's where people haven't been before. Because yeah. it's easy to follow a, a procedure and a policy and then default to someone else. But um, you know, leadership and courageous leaders leaders are those who are at the at that front and um embarking on the unknown. Yeah, you're spot on. I think you're right. There are so many, you know, company cultures that have it's sort of like almost uh they're risk averse. And I'm my whole bit like you is make the mistakes, be you know, create a space where people are open to share and be supported to move beyond those mistakes because the mistakes we make or the adversity we get through, we always get through it. Those lessons could be a survival guide for someone else. And yeah. I, in, in, in a lot of corporate, unfortunately, there's, you know, the fear of rejection, the fear of, you know, what will people think if I've made a mistake? What will people think if I say I've done a great job? They'll think I'm gloating. There's yeah. too much of this attention out that isn't benefiting anyone there or the organisation. So I love that. You mentioned something on leaders leaders being present. Mm. Something we we obviously do. I do a lot of big workshop programs, but we have a lot of one-on-one as well. This is something that's come up more than ever, particularly this year, is just being present, being in the moment, and being the leader you need to be dependent on the person and situation. What what sort of tips would you have for, you know, we get a lot of leaders that tune in to this podcast, you know, to, to be present as a leader of self and others? Yeah, I think it's one of the things that we really underestimate is the significance of our presence as leaders. And, you know, we can look at various crises and disaster situations that we've been through. And, you, you, you know, you've mentioned the pandemic a few times. We, you know, look at, um, you know, I'm from New South Wales. And if we look at the, uh, as an example, the 2019, 2020 bushfires that, that seemed to consume the most of East Coast of Australia. And, and at our time, um, we had the Premier Gladys Berejiklian who just did an incredible job, you know, and uh, she wasn't there leading the response. She wasn't there making decisions around the, you know, deployment of fire services and so forth because that wasn't her role. But her role was to to be present and communicate. And, and I think presence does two things. One, it demonstrates that you understand the challenges and two, it says that you care. And, uh, you know, the contrary or the the... Uh, the the flip side of that is when you're absent, it says to the community, to those that you care about, those that you're seeking to lead, that you don't care. And I think the the classic example of that was um, Scott Morrison, who was our prime minister at the time, who during this exactly same fires, when yeah. Gladys stood up and was just such a respected and uh, well-loved leader um, because of her presence, we had Scott Morrison heading off to Hawaii initially denying that he, he'd gone and was there. And then, uh, um, you know, when photos emerged of him, uh, then, you know, he then came to the south coast of New South Wales uh, trying to endear himself to the volunteers. And it was it was horrific, cringeworthy scenes of people not wanting to shake the Prime Minister's hand. And, you know, and, and it, there was no expectation uh, from the community that he be on the end of a hose. 
And he oh. made it very clear, didn't he? He said, it's not my job to hold a hose, yeah. but it's his job to, to be the leader. And, and as leaders, we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to bring about change, but we need to care. And uh, and I think it's something that's been lost um, is that especially with r- remote working is that we think oh well we're, we're on Zoom or that we've uh, we've connected uh, for our fifteen minute chat each day or you know we've got all of the information we've got all of the data but you know the biggest thing we can do is be present and because uh, as I said it conveys those two things that we care and we understand. Yeah, and people feel important when they feel you are present with them and you're listening. It comes back to there's a recent study that's showing I think it's 20% of executives feel they're profoundly listened to. Yeah, right. They're heard but not listened to. And I think that whole piece around presence and care and being in the moment, I always say, you know, we become human doings, not human beings, and we're on this treadmill And I think the last few years people thought, I'll get off it, but everyone's back on it, Mm. Um, you know, and and hybrid work's a big one, you know, like in in Australia right now I know most companies are at about a three-day in, two-day working working remotely, but there's still a lot of disconnection. And I think the one-on-ones, being present, really understanding your team and understanding your peers you know, it's connection. It's it's an innate human need, right? At the yeah, end. correct. Um, one of your chapters, I think, I think it was chapter ten. Find a journey that feeds your soul. I actually mm. got goosebumps when I read that because mm. I believe do what lights you up. That's my mantra. Mm. That'll be the day I'm going and leaving this world. Mm. Do what lights you up. What energizes you. It sounds easy. How how do people do that? I know that's a big question. Hope you've had a coffee this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's um uh you know a part of it is uh, I, I I guess it's following where they're drawn to and uh, and saying yes to opportunities more than saying no. And um, you know, setting up hands hands across the water for me was never. It was never, as I said, it wasn't an epiphany. It wasn't something I was searching for. It wasn't on my life plan to start a charity. It wasn't, it was never, you know, part of this great design of life. And, you, you know, like I'd invested and um, and was tracking incredibly well in my professional career uh, within the police. I'd worked in a number of international deployments and, you know, all the study I'd done through university was, you know, shaping the, the you know, the upwards direction of my career. And and uh, then this thing uh, came along and um, and it was what provided that uh, uh, food for my soul. And and I think it's... Um, you, no, you, don't, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just something that you... You need to, um, you know, be open and explore those opportunities and and um, and pursue them. You know, and I talk about it in when I do, um, you know, my keynote presentations, and I talk about and I ask the the question and I say, when was the last time that you did something that was truly for you? You know, not for your husband, not for your wife, not for your partner, not for your kids. 
And, you know, I suggest to people that, you know, whatever it might be, if it's learning to play a musical instrument, if it's trekking through Nepal, if it's heading to Paris, yeah. one of the things that we we think is that the time, will, we'll wait until the time is right. And, uh, you know, if we learn anything through the, through the pandemic, well, that time might not come. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think it's... Uh, you know, we might have to be out there and experience a lot of things before we feel drawn to it. But I think it's, and this is one of the things I really talk to about in the book is that, you know, that journey needs to be for you. It's not because your partner's decided that they want to take on whitewater rafting. Therefore, uh, as a as a good partner, you should adopt whitewater rafting. You know, if it's, uh, uh, if you want to do life drawing, if you want to do, you know, whatever it is, it's yeah. got to be for you, and um, and I think it's uh, you, you know, I, I, and I talk about within the book where you you know that you find this uh, this place when you know you just feel so so connected and and congruent and in flow. I just love that, and I think it's I love what you said about, and I'm a big believer in that. It's got to be for you. I, I recently, Peter, I, I love what I do for work so much that, you know, it for years it's blurred into my personal life. One of my passions, big passions, is cooking. So Italian-French background, learnt to cook Sri Lankan through a community I was around growing up without recipes. That's my sort of meditation, my go-to space. Yeah, right. So that, you know, you, you people might argue and go, but you're cooking for somebody but that's that's my love language. That's how I connect yeah. through food. So the other the other night, just midnight, I went taste tank with Renee. That sounds pretty cool. Just started an Insta page, no strategy, posting spontaneously, running some cooking connection leadership retreats with cooking classes at the moment, and it's really showed me. I love everything I do, but when I'm doing those, I can't stop smiling. Mm. I think you lit up from within. Yeah. For anyone listening, it's not always easy to find what that is, but I always say, what do you think about? What are you curious about that might be just state curiosity where you think about it, forget? But what's that thing that's quite innate that you keep going back to? Yeah. That because you've got nothing, nothing to lose. And as a leader, find out what that is for individuals in your team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um you talk about adopting a limitless mindset, which is something I'm very passionate about, learning, unlearning, relearning and evolving. And I love the way your book's structured. So you've got stories which evoke emotion, goes back to ancient times, insights. And I love um, the end of each chapter where you've got a summation and what you can do. And with the limitless mindset one, I remember it was just start. Mm. I love that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a, you know, writing the book was um, um, a lot of fun. It's a third book I've written, and um, uh, you, you know, I had a couple of uh, contract offers to write it, and uh, uh, and uh, once I'd settled on who I was going to to publish with, um, you know, sign the contract. The deadline's there, and and uh, you know, time quickly gets away. And it was actually uh, January of this year of 2023, where I had the book, the, the manuscript was due and uh, I'd probably written a, about 20,000 words and, yeah. and and I only had a couple of weeks to go. And 
and uh, you know I was riding towards seventy thousand, and I went across to Krabi after one of our. Uh, went across to uh, Koh Samui in Thailand yeah. after one of our our bike rides, and uh, and over two and a half days, I wrote uh, twenty five thousand words, and, and it just really flowed, and it was just enjoyable, and you know it gave me you know reason to pause and reflect on on some of the people, uh, those leaders, achievers and visionaries that I talk about in the book. And, yeah. and um, you know, in particular, there's the stories of Mayfield and um, and Kunrachana and, and people that, uh, uh, are, you know, for the vast majority of, of, uh, of people I'll never hear of, they'll never meet, they'll never, you know, know these people exist, but such wisdom and, and insight and, and that came from them. And so, it was a, it, yeah, it was a whole lot of fun, and um, you know, and I think the, you know, that uh, just start it, as you'd know uh, through the book, like there's um, different observations and learnings that ca- that come out of each chapter, and and uh, for that that last one that you just referred to, you know, it's uh, uh, just in a couple of words, and I, and I, I think it, said it all. It's it's sometimes that we get so so caught up in the process of what needs to happen before we can start and you know real clarity comes with action the more we do the clearer we'll become and you know and I've I've seen that play out so many times I've seen it uh, you know when we when we turned up into Thailand and there was uh, standing in a temple and there was three and a half thousand decomposing bodies um, if you wait until you've got all of the answers, uh, you miss opportunities. You know, it's the same same in the commercial market space. If we if we've got a good idea, if we wait and if we take too long, someone else will beat us to it. And uh, you know, and starting hands, as I've already said, you know, when I started it, it was um, probably the least uh, sensible time in my life to do something like that. But and I had no knowledge. I was so naive about the the, the process of, of 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 charity of setting it up, the structure of what I was going to do. But you know, you get to a point where you know it. Uh, there is form, there is structure, and and uh, sometimes you've just got to start and uh, and learn as you go. Yeah, I love it. And I think when you start to, you sort of guess and testing and 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 you know working out, do I pursue it or, or don't I? I say the more we sit on things and don't action them, we uh, it's not a real word, but we awfulize them. So we actually find things that can go wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a bit of a doer, think of something, initiate it, make it happen, which which you've done, which is just amazing. Um I'd love to just just ask you on that. Like if we're just for and we could we might have to have a part two, I think. Um <laughs> But I'd love to ask you for those listening right now, um, and they're leaders of self or leaders of others. What are three three just really top line tips or strategies they could take away to have more impact, fulfillment, and purpose as a leader? I think the first thing is to you know the the, the thing with leadership is it's about um, helping others do their job, and uh, you know when we look at uh, and I think that's the separation between. Um, you know, practitioner or, you know, technical person through to manager is that you're still in the doing. And I think the the, the true leaders are there to support others. And, um, you know, so I think that, that that asking that most important question a leader can ask is how can I help? Yeah. And 
you know, micromanagers are, are there when and when they they're uncomfortable with letting go, and and it's more about the the, yep. the fear of stepping into uh, true leadership as opposed to um, you know, you know that that letting go. So I think that's the most important thing is is recognizing the separation between the two and that your role very much changes and it's about supporting others. Um, you know, I think we, we've touched on a few things. Things. I think the other thing is the is that importance of presence, of being there, of demonstrating that you care and you understand. And I think the other thing is about um, uh, that clarity of purpose that flows into self care. Is that uh, um, you know we need to uh, look after ourselves. We need to invest in ourselves. We need to take time for ourselves. And and leaders by doing that then set an example in creating good cultures within organisations that. Uh, um, that you know, we 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 deliver the best when we're at our best, yeah. and uh, um, yeah, and I think they're really important things to 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 set that example to you know be home um, you know if you've got a family it's home um, with the kids either for breakfast or dinner if you can't be there for both and and it, you know it's including a healthy lifestyle it's exercise and those type of things and 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 setting that example to everyone else because you know we can. As I say, we can only be our best when we're at our best. Right. That's right. So ask for help, be present and have clarity of purpose. And I think I always say your vision is your boss and really tap, in, tap into that. That's beautiful. I've, um, Peter, I've been doing quite a bit of a few keynotes on, I've called it Who's Looking After the Leader? And I actually go into spiritual, physical, social, emotional um, and mental energy and how you can bring bring those up to be limitless. And I think that's, you, you know, such a crucial thing at the moment. You know, we want to give the world the best of us, not what's left of us. So, you know, we've all been there. So I think it's something we need to lead and, and, and role model. Before we finish up, I've got some quick trivia. Favourite word. What's your favourite word? I don't know that I've got one. Um... Humility. Yeah, beautiful. Love that. What sound or noise do you love? Uh, the sound of birds. I run, um, I do ultra marathons and uh, run through the bush and we'll spend hours um, training up in our farm, running through the national parks. And, and I just love the sound of the bush and, uh, you know, the birds. And, um, yeah, like it's it's something that's very very grounding and very peaceful. It is. It is beautiful. This, this, this one. I had a little chuckle. If you had la- one last meal, what would it be? <laughs> did I answer that? You had exactly what I would put. What so, did I put? Presser and anchovy pizza. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's Friday night on our farm. We're uh, we're too far from um, uh, from uh, any shops or takeaway doesn't exist and. Uh, and uh, we have our own uh, wood-fired pizza oven, and uh, and that's Friday night on the farm is um, homemade uh, suppressor and anchovy pizza with a with a very nice de uh, Boer repairs Pinot Noir. Um, yeah. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm that person. If someone says no anchovies on mine, I go put them on mine. Yeah, yeah, I'll have the extras and some yeah, more. Love them. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? 
Uh, well, that's something that I, I, I guess uh, came uh, late and, uh, um, you know, while it'll never be a profession, it's something I love doing is flying helicopters and, um, you know, I learned to fly, um, uh, started flying in 2018 and, um, um, you know, hold my private licence and, uh, um, yeah, I, th I think it would be to being, and it'll never be something I pursue now. But uh, to 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 be paid to uh, uh, you know people, you know, there's that uh, saying, you know, get uh, find something you love and get paid to do it, and you'll never work a day. And uh, um, you know, flying helicopters for, and and for a living, it'd be uh, um, yeah something. If I had time again, it'd be that'd be the direction I'd go. Amazing. Look, I've absolutely loved, loved having you on the show today and so many insights and so much we could talk about. So people can get your book at? Yeah, so either through Booktopia Amazon or through my website, peterbaines.com.au, and, uh, yep, they can grab it from one of those. Amazing. And does that lead them to your program, your keynotes, hands across? Yeah, through my website, yep. Perfect. Peter, thank you so much for My pleasure. being here today and thank you to everyone that's been listening or watching and we hope you enjoyed this episode and, as always, stay safe and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Limitless Leaders podcast. So you don't miss an episode, make sure you follow the show in your favourite podcast app. Feel free to share this podcast with your family, friends and work colleagues. If you're enjoying the show, find out more on what we do at RG Dynamics at www.renegeruso.com. Until next time, be limitless.